2: Presented by at and Connecting changes everything.
3: Homes.com knows having the right agent can make or break your home search. That's why they provide home shoppers with an agent directory that gives you a detailed look at each agent's experience, like the number of closed sales in a specific neighborhood, average price range, and more. It lets you easily connect with all the agents in the area you're searching so you can find the right agent with the right experience and ultimately the right home for you. Holmes.com, we've done your homework. You're listening to 100 Words or Less with Ray Harkins. Hello, everybody out there in the podcast listening universe. Thank you for downloading this podcast and putting it in your ear holes. And I know that sounds like a very trite And real basic thing to say, but I really do appreciate you taking the time with this show, taking the time with these guests, and listening to what they have to say, because uh, I think it's important, and I'm glad you think it's important. Today, we've got Dale Crover from the Melvins on. He is a man of many talents, has played in a lot of different bands, but the Melvins is his anchor, and the one he's been playing with for quite some time, pretty much since the inception. Not pretty much, since the inception. But uh, Dale and I had a great chat. The only thing I would like to note is that the... We ran into some technology barriers <laughs> in regards to the internet just totally crapping out on us on more than one occasion and it was uh, it was frustrating, but we got through it. We actually had to switch over to the phone, which you 'll notice in the last about seven minutes of the conversation. Um, you know nothing that is like unlistenable, but I just want you to know that uh, that it switches at a certain point because uh, you know I just wanted to ask these last few questions, and we wanted to push through it so that is what we did. You'll also notice at the top of the show, we have a new theme song. I am going to be using that from here on out. It is written by my friend Eugene, who does incredible music. If you are interested in what he has going on, you can just email the show, 100 podcast at gmail.com, and I will pull some connective tissue together. But he does a lot of great work, and uh, he has done a lot of neat things for this show. So I really appreciate him and uh, contributing song-wise to this, because it's an original composition. That's how cool this podcast is. But um, you can also leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I know I say that almost every week, but it is meaningful. It gives legitimacy to this show and it makes other people discover it and that is an important thing. And also tell your friends tell anybody who should be listening to this show that uh, they need to you know download it. try out an episode or two because I've got like 400 some of these things so please do that and um, yeah, let's dive into the conversation with Dale and I will talk to you at the end of the episode for who is coming up next week. first interacted with uh, the Melvins in general, just as a, uh, you know, punk and hardcore kid growing up in the 90s. And, uh, you know, kind of understanding where the Melvins sat in context of, you know, just kind of lineage of punk and hardcore and everything like that. And I'm sure it's interesting now, you know, existing for as long as you have an independent music scene, there are so many jumping off points for people to find out about you know, what you do as a musician, where it's like, oh, yeah, I I didn't even know he played the Melvins because I just really like Off or, you know, I mean, that's a maybe maybe not the best example, but you get what I'm saying?
1: Sure. There might be some people like that. But I mean, even well, I mean, the thing is, I don't I don't consider us to be like some oldies band.
4: Yeah. Oh, for sure. But you know what I mean?
1: It's like it's like somehow we've managed to stay current, you know, and, and even though we have the history that we do. Uh, we're not considered like you know oh 90s retro band or whatever you know <laughs> thank god <clears throat> but then again you know maybe maybe that would have gotten us maybe that would get us some more like state fair gigs you know
3: oh for sure dude you can do the uh you know sit down dinner theater playing in front of uh, 500 people or whatever those i hear
1: those pay well you they, know it's like one ticket you sell one ticket that's all you need man free
3: show <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly right you get you're getting the wine and dinner but then a band happens to be playing for free
1: (laughs) right right no no we've never quite had those offers though well in some ways but i mean (laughs) right they're they're few and far between and always something kind of weird and bizarre uh sure uh, you know managed to still play a lot of the same places we've been playing for a long time and um because we've got, you know, good relationships with people all across the country, and stuff like
3: that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You've, you've traveled in the same circles and, you know, people obviously know your context and where you're coming from. But I, I guess the point I was trying to arrive at was the, the notion that people can get into you at any time, you know, a 13 year old kid now can just get into the most recent release and then be like, Oh, this is interesting. This acoustic thing. And then, you know, understand so much more about the band. Um, I'm, I presume it's, gratifying for you to be able to like you said obviously not just be this quote-unquote retroact, but then still be able to be accessible to a wide range of people i mean not mainstream obviously but yes
1: <laughs> right yeah exactly um seems that we always get a, a sort of a new audience every year you know or at least every couple of years it seems like it changes over but, uh, you know, we, we understand that because you get to a certain age and you don't really go out and watch music that much anymore. Or, or you know, go to a bar when you're like in your 50s that much anymore <laughs> or anything like that. So there, there's, we've managed to have this audience that stayed roughly the same age. So, and I, I always quote uh, um, uh, uh, Dazed and Confused. Um, um, with, uh, 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 what's
3: his name's character? Matthew McConaughey's uh, character. Yeah. I yeah know where you're exactly. going. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. They say the same age. I just keep getting older. I
1: keep, yeah. I keep getting older and they stay the same age, you know, <laughs> right? which is creepy now, but, um,
3: <laughs> yes. In, in the context, but you know, he I mean, used it in the movie. Uh, that was not cool, but yes, for you guys, it's definitely cool. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm sure that uh, kind of having that, like you said, sort of generational turnover. And when I say generation, like I honestly, personally, in independent music, measure it every like four to five years, uh, just because.
1: Yeah, that's probably about right. You know? It's
3: like every high school year, you know, it's like, oh, once a freshman graduates, you know, their senior year, like that kind of the new, the new leaf gets turned over. I, I would really define that for you guys as well. Like in the early 2000s, where a lot of people that, you know, were very and are, are still very entrenched in the whatever metal punk hardcore world. And you guys were deemed as, you know, very influential from bands like, you know, ISIS and all of that. Like once that started, the Head record scene started to, you know, really take hold. I think that was a real interesting inflection point for you guys to all of a sudden be playing in front of, you know, not like extremely younger people, but people who are more open to, you know, your creative pursuits.
1: Yeah, somehow we've crossed genres. We've gone, you know, we grunge. Uh, we can go the stoner metal route, uh, uh, and you know, and then with with you know, like the bands you're just mentioning, it's like you know, art metal, <laughs> you know, or, or sludge, or, or you know, uh, uh, whatever. You know, uh, there's quite a there's quite a crossover, right, right, of, uh, of of people that we appeal to, you know, but not all those people. I mean, we're we're kind of like too heavy for like alternative people and and maybe too weird and nerdy for for super extreme metal people you know but somehow we meet all the weirdos in the in the middle
3: right it's like you're collecting from each disparate scene and being like oh we'll take five percent here seven percent here not like that's a strategy but yeah
1: yeah. (laughs) now it just happened that way yeah
3: exactly (laughs) Uh, I'll, I'll pull on some other strings in regards to that a little bit later, but I know you were, uh, born and raised and obviously in the Aberdeen area, like everybody, you know, has mentioned in every interview ever. Um, but from, from what I can understand in general about the time and the police that you, you came up in Aberdeen was this, you know, suburb enclave, but at the same time, there was a lot of, uh, I guess, progressive thought and a lot of, um, more interesting things happening there per se, and not so much from like a cultural perspective, but just like, oh yeah, sort of you know maybe ex hippies or that sort of lifestyle. Uh, is that is that a correct representation, or am I completely off?
1: Nah, there wasn't much going on there at all. I mean, as far as we, okay, just we, dead. <laughs> right. We were definitely the few of us that we were certainly uh, outsiders compared to anything else that was going on there. I mean, there was really no music scene going on there besides like a few high school style cover bands, which. I was guilty of being in one until I joined the Melvins. Um, other than, you know, well, the freakiness of there's being like a few bands that actually came from there, you know, Metal Church <laughs> is one of them that were going when uh, when I saw the Melvins. Um, and I knew those guys and, um, and, you know, saw them play and stuff. Yeah, I mean, there was no place to play. Uh, all we did... Once I joined the Melvins, all we did was practice all the time because that's all there really was to do. (laughs) We would practice all the time and and play a show maybe once a month, but not in Aberdeen. Uh, That would be more like Olympia or Seattle or or something like that. Um, So, you know, it was an isolated coastal town in uh, uh, in Washington. Closest city would have been, you know, city, Olympia, you know, but, but there was actually stuff going on there. You know, there was like a, there was a, the, uh, evergreen college, which, um, was kind of an, uh, a, a, and still is kind of a a, 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 hippie college, I guess you'd say, you know, alternative, alternative college, progressive. Um, so I think because of that, there was kind of, there was definitely like a, you know, underground music scene that Melvins were involved in, uh, even before I joined the band, you know, and I knew that. And I thought that that was okay. These guys actually play gigs out of town, you know, there's nothing going on here. So, Good, uh, good move to get with a, a band that's, that's uh, playing shows, not in Aberdeen, <laughs> where there's no place to play besides a kegger party, maybe if you're lucky. <laughs> so I mean, yeah. So the fact that, that any bands came from there at all is, is just is, is is freakish in and of itself.
3: Sure. There was such a, uh, you know, a large mountain to climb, so to speak, just to, you know, get out of the garage. Yep. So, I mean, I guess why, you know, why were your parents there? Like what were they doing as far as their profession was concerned? Like why, I guess, you know, set roots in Aberdeen. Yeah. Good question. Why the fuck were they there?
1: No. Uh, (laughs) um, my dad ended up there sometime after, uh, world war two. He, uh, was a a world war two vet and, um, After he got out of the war, he got into construction and helped, uh, uh, He did a lot of construction work, did a lot of uh, building bridges in Washington. So I I don't know exactly how he ended up in Aberdeen, you know. Uh, Sure. Because his family's from Oregon, you know. My mom grew up there, and um, uh, um, I'm not exactly sure how her parents ended up there. Well, I probably do. I mean, you know. He was in World War II. so I have a grandfather that was in or sorry World War one I. I a grandfather who was in World War I and a dad that was in World War II. is isn't that crazy? I'm not that old
3: and no it that it it is crazy to hear that especially in the context of where your life obviously ended up farthest away from military service at all possible so <laughs> I,
1: oh yeah exactly <laughs> you know I, thanks thank thank God those guys did, did it you know and and I didn't have to do it and, Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> Thank, thanks for having me just the, at the right time, uh, you know, when you didn't have plans to have a kid. Yep. Where I would miss any any uh, uh, military
3: action. Right. That's great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and, pl- and plus the, um, I guess the desire and the fortitude to be like, oh, yes, like, you know, obviously my grandfather was in the military and my father was in the military. So I guess by definition, I should at least try this out. But, you know, that was clearly never a part of your plan.
1: Oh, no. So, so, right. So, so, you know, my dad had three kids before me and my mom had two. Um, And then they got together and, uh, and happy accident, me came along. And um, so, you know, uh, easy for me to like uh, get the band to come over and and practice at the house because they'd already done all the parenting that that they needed to do. And so it was all cool.
3: (laughs) Right, <laughs> they were like, "Listen, Dale can fend for himself. Like he, as long as he's not doing anything, you know, horrifically irresponsible, we'll be okay."
1: My brothers are like, "You got away with, you got away with murder. We would have never been able to have like band practice at the house, you know."
3: <laughs> Dude, that's great. That's great. So, I mean, we're all, I guess five of your, uh, step siblings all at the same house, like at the same time as well. So you had to, you know, that many kids running around. Mm
2: -hmm. Maybe, maybe
1: at first, but no, my, uh, um, uh, my older brother and two sisters lived with their mother and, uh, my two brothers on my mother's side lived with us. So, and they were, they were still a bit older than me. Like, uh, uh, by the time I was uh, a teenager, they were out of the house and I, uh, I, I commanded their bedrooms and one of them was like the jam room.
3: Perfect. <laughs> and
1: one of them was the bedroom.
3: Right yes, anyway. of course. Yeah. Um, and so what what kind of uh, kid did you find yourself being as you were, you know, kind of going through junior high and high school, like developing an identity? Did you, you know, try sports out? Were you like, all right, I'm going to be, you know, a scholarly guy? Like, were you what identities were you trying on at that time?
1: by, by then. Yeah. I, I was into baseball for sure. And then, yeah, by the time I turned 13, uh, it was starting to get more real, <laughs> you know, like, right. like, uh, uh, well, all of a sudden it was like, yeah, you're on a reg- regulation size, a real field, you know, not a little league field and, uh, guys are getting bigger and throwing harder. And, um, um, I don't know. I, I was starting to play music then. So it was like, you know, I, I realized that I was, a, a I could be a much better drummer than a baseball player. Um, I tried out football for a little bit, but then that was like pretty serious. You know, kids basically pummeling the shit out of you. And I was like, nah, nah, I don't want to do this.
3: Right. This (laughs) is way more intense than baseball.
1: Right. Well, well, plus at at that age, kids are just, well, I should, I should speak softly because my, my son is in seventh grade, but that was the worst fucking year of school ever.
3: Yes. It is a, I mean, boys, girls, it sucks totally. It, it doesn't matter what you are. It's one of the worst. Totally. Times. Cause no one has any idea what they're doing yet. Everyone's trying to be confident in right. what they're not.
1: <laughs> well, I, um, shit's a little bit better now because they're definitely cracking down on more of the bully type of stuff than they used to. Sure. Um, though I know it's still the fucking same, but, um, he, my, my junior high at that point was like, um, you know, and, and I'm talking about right, right when I was trying to get, getting into playing drums, uh, 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 forming opinions about music and all that kind of stuff. Uh, um, it was seventh, eighth, ninth grade. So, seventh graders just got, you know, they got the, the worst shit from, from all the kids. So, his school is uh, six, seven, eight. So, he's at least in the middle.
3: Right, right, for sure. And d- did you care about school? Like, did you get solid enough grades to keep your parents off your back or were they pretty concerned?
1: Maybe for a little while. Okay. <laughs> Well, I mean, by the time I joined the Melvins, I was 16, going on 17, um, was uh, yeah, um, yeah, sophomore, and um, joined the band summer of 84 when I was going into that grade, and yeah, we were playing shows on weekdays out of town and not getting back to 3, 4 in the morning, and I was starting to miss a lot
3: of school. And did they, uh, did they grow concerned at that point? A little bit,
1: but you know... It's, it, uh, hard to control a teenager. I don't know if you know this,
3: but it's yes. I, I so I have lived through and heard and seen, especially in our our beautiful independent yeah. music scene. It's not like uh, a lot of people have right. that. Uh, you know, with starting bands and touring, it's not like uh, that's something that parents understand,
2: right? You
3: know,
1: I think um, it was probably obvious to my parents even before that that that's really what I wanted to do, and um, I don't know. I must have been pretty good good enough for them to go. Oh, this is you know, hmm. Well, maybe there's something here. Um, you know, so they let a lot of stuff slide.
3: We're talking about band merch. We're talking about rockabilia.com. And we're also talking about using this promo code 100 words or less that gets you 10% off your entire order. And why are we talking about these things? It's because band merch is the best. I have hundreds and hundreds of t shirts, and many of them have ended up being purchased via rockabilia. I think they are the greatest purveyors of online merchandise. All officially licensed stuff, high quality, ships to you fast. There is literally no reason you can't go on there and find a bunch of items that you will buy, and then just be that much cooler than all your friends. Because after all, isn't that what we're all looking for? Joking aside, Rockabilia is the best. They continue to support this podcast, and you will have so much fun going to their website using the promo code one hundred words or less, and that gets you ten percent off your order. That was a point I was going to bring up a little bit later. The notion that you, obviously, as a drummer, like starting off drums is like easily the most punishing instrument for most parents. So for them to, yeah, exactly. (laughs) So for them to give you that leeway,
1: right, right. So yeah, that was the telltale right there. You know, oh okay. But yeah, the drums got loud pretty damn quick, and they they were supportive all the way through. So thanks, mom and dad.
3: Yeah, that's a, that, that that's impressive. Especially like you said too, being able to have, you know, rehearsal at the house and stuff like that. Um because yeah. I'm sh- I'm sure there's an element of them being excited that you cared about something and then clearly underneath that roof they can keep tabs on you.
1: Totally. They probably figured like, oh, well, at least we know where he is.
3: Right. As long as he's making noise, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, he's here. All right. <laughs> right, right. Um and so I'm guessing because uh, it, it's interesting. You um, you, you live in LA right now, right? You've been in Southern California for a while, or no? Yeah, yeah. And so uh, you, to me, you've always struck me as like this very sort of quintessential SoCal dude, as far as like your attitude and not taking things <laughs> overly seriously. Um, dude, yeah. Do I, I mean, have
1: Do I have the accent yet, man? <laughs>
3: I think if you were trying to, uh, you know, I- I- imitate Spicoli from Fast Times at Ridgemont High, yes, I think so.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, no, I was kind of going for more of a Keith Morris thing. True, that. Okay, Geez, yeah, yeah, like like him, like, him, or or Steve McDonald. You know, I mean, he's you know, that's he's got the total Southern Cal accent. You know, yes, like it, that's that's the accent
3: that mm. is the accent. Yes, you're correct. You've you've spent plenty of time with them so you have uh, plenty of uh, mm-hmm. of experience to imitate them. It's a good um, accent. Yeah, it is. Uh so I guess has that always kind of been your uh, personality as it were? Were you always sort of generally easygoing and kind of displaying that um, you know, that vibe or is that something that you kind of grew into over time?
1: <laughs> uh I think I've always been pretty easygoing. Yeah, sure. Um, quiet. Sometimes shy. Whatever. Used to be, somewhat introverted.
3: Right. Well, you're the drummer, so you obviously have the you know the uh, armor, as it were, to hide behind the kit. <laughs>
1: oh, oh yeah, but but I can certainly ham it up.
3: Absolutely. Well, I mean, um, you know, clearly yeah, I, the Melvins I, I'm are. The, I'm the.
1: I'm, <laughs> right. If if you said who's the biggest ham in the
3: Melvins, you know, there there could be uh, there could be some arguments about that. Yeah. <laughs>
1: There could be, actually, yes.
3: Yes, there could be. Right. But,
1: um, you know, I'll have a ham contest with anybody on stage, you know?
3: <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, and I, honestly, I, I think that's why people, I mean, in my opinion, why people are attracted to the Melvins in general is, you know, you guys take your art and music seriously as far as the presentation of it is concerned, but you never mm-hmm. take it overly seriously. And people understand that there's this, you know, tongue in cheek, firmly implanted in the band. I- I'm going to guess that's obviously intentional for you guys.
1: Uh, uh, I mean, it's not so much intentional as just the, that's the how that is how we are, you know, uh, uh, forever stuck in uh, eighth grade humor, you know, and that just comes out. Yeah. I mean, uh, well, the name of the band is The ones What the fuck do you expect?
3: You know? <laughs> <laughs> of course, right. What do you want? What do you think is going to happen? Right, you're only you're only going to take this so seriously. Yeah, right. We're not yeah. we're not, we're not I mean, curing well, there, cancer there,
1: here. There, there it is, right there. There it is, right there. Sure. The name of the band is the Melvins
3: Did you ever, I guess, kind of mess around with like guitar, or anything else before drums took you over, or was that like day one that was the thing you wanted to play?
1: Oh no, I was a guitar player first.
3: Okay, I played that's guitar
1: I starting in eighth grade. Sorry. Eighth grade, eight years old, uh, was when I got my first acoustic guitar and started p- taking lessons at the local Aberdeen Library, public library.
3: And That's they, a weird they, place they, to take lessons. I've never heard of that. Were,
1: yeah, free lessons. You know, yeah, back when uh, the library used to do stuff that was cool. I guess uh, they, they probably still do. But I mean, I mean, yeah, there, there's stuff like that around. You know, it was like yeah, free guitar lessons for a group, and he would he was teaching basic beginning guitar and and uh, uh you know learned your 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 a7 chord and then your D and then your G and then you got a song right there so,
3: right uh, so you Hush thats little
1: baby Kumbaya, ya Oblada, Bada <laughs> that's where I first learned those songs my library was pretty cool too they'd show they would uh, sometimes show uh they had uh, uh films and and they would show uh, uh movies you could actually rent you could uh, rent. You could you could you could check out the movies and a projector, <laughs> and and uh, and and watch like uh, I remember they would show uh, uh, Yellow Submarine at the library. Wow! In the same room in the same room where I took the guitar lessons, and um, or or uh, yeah, I remember uh, we we checked out the uh, 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 projector and film one time and, and watched Harlem Globetrotters films, and then then we watched them backwards.
3: <laughs> sure. They would,
1: um, so funny backwards
3: <laughs> oh, I can I can imagine, they're funny forwards and yeah. then putting them backwards, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's incredible Probably. obviously when you were messing around with the guitar the, one led to the other of you being interested in drums because that was easier because there's no notes yeah,
2: well you know,
1: I mean I was always interested in them too I mean um, uh, something I, I, I've mentioned before is um, uh, I remember being six years old at Christmas and getting a toy drum set and being super excited, like waking up and seeing it and I don't think I knew that I was getting something like that, but just being completely blown away and like, oh, my God. And, you know, I started playing it right away at 6 in the morning. And I'm sure my parents were like, oh.
3: A steak. Eh, Christmas yeah. is here. <laughs> totally. Whoops.
1: <laughs> so, uh, um, yeah. So I remember always I, I'm just being interested in both. I mean, not only toy drums, but toy guitars and stuff like that, too. So just, just being interested in music from a really early age, you know. Um, and watching stuff on TV, like what you could watch, would be like well, the Monkees were the, the the big band, for sure. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's still one of my favorites. But I would also watch uh, *Hee Haw* at the same time, or the Lawrence Welk Show, or whatever. Just anything with music didn't matter. But the Monkees were the cooler, cooler of the bunch. <laughs> Probably what, why I gravitated to uh, you know rock and roll more, I guess.
3: Yeah. <laughs> but yeah anything with music you were consuming i completely identify with you because i love the monkeys and that was something that i was watching uh clearly on reruns on like you know nickelodeon and nick at night and stuff like that and i remember how like heartbroken i was when i discovered that that wasn't like a quote-unquote real band like they were assembled and it was just like oh it really like but they're really good like what's wrong with that
1: yeah well i mean those songs are really great you know i mean they had great songwriters and and um and, and obviously great players or whatever, uh, whoever played on those records. But, you know, at the same time, you know, bands like the beach boys were probably using this. They were, they were using the same session musicians that the monkeys were.
3: Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they were just, they were wrecking crew. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah.
1: And, and, you know, had Boyce and heart writing songs for, you know, Tommy Boyce uh, Boyce and heart writing songs for those guys, which I, uh, you know, those guys are great. I love their yeah. stuff. Um,
3: it's just incredible how versatile those players. Yeah. Oh, for sure. It was incredible how versatile those players were because they could just take, it was like, Hey, so we're just going to like rip off the Beatles, except obviously make that more for kids and stuff and put them on TV. So can you go ahead and do that? And they're like, sure, no problem. And they just bang out all these hits.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, you know, they're almost not really like the Beatles. Totally. (laughs) Song wise. It's like, what, you know, um, it's really good. I mean, you know, Amazing songwriting and all that, um, and I really like. Uh, I mean, though those guys might not have played on everything, I really like Mickey Dolan's <laughs> in his I, singing. Yeah, he's a great. His vocals are great. Um, in fact, um, th- he has a new record out right now. It's uh, Dolan sings Nesmith, and so he's doing all these Mike Nesmith songs. Whoa! And um, uh, are you? Are you? So, are you familiar with the um, the, the um, head? record yeah soundtrack uh-huh um uh circle sky mike nesmus song mickey does an awesome version of it on his new record that's like total psychedelic uh raga with with the uh, sitar and and, and tabla uh, and his vocals are awesome and <laughs> wow i haven't checked out the rest of the record yet but it, it, it's pretty cool that's, it,
3: that's it's worth checking out
1: for that song alone
3: That's really cool. Yeah. I mean, you can stack that up against, uh, you know, Last Train to Clarksville, and then you you got a great doubleheader. (laughs) So like you mentioned, you know, once you started to really just completely get immersed within the, you know, (laughs) independent music scene, as it were, I mean, clearly, like you said, you were reaching out to other cities and, you know, being able to play shows and stuff like that was it the uh, attraction of just being able to you know create these songs with friends and and play them in front of each other that kind of got you keyed into the um the notion of being in a band because i mean clearly all this stuff there was no roadmap for you to like be in a band because you were watching stuff like you know kiss and iron maiden and it was like we're not gonna get there
1: oh no that's what i mean that's what i wanted to do i wanted to be in a band you know that's what I wanted to do for sure, and and joining these guys was was uh, definitely uh, a career move, you know. For me, it was like, okay, these guys are doing shit. Like I said, these guys are playing shows out of town. They've got something going on. Any of these other guys around Aberdeen do not.
3: Got it. So the, it was you felt like it was the on ramp on a very long highway.
1: Totally. This this was a, this was an upgrade and and uh, a chance to get the get the hell out of here. Sure. And it worked.
3: <laughs> right. Yeah you know, once you started to play shows and get immersed in that independent music scene, uh, what, what kind of, I guess, drew you into the idea of like, Hey, we are feel like we're contributing in some way. Like we are part of a scene, you know, what, what was attractive to you about that?
1: Hmm. hmm. Um, gorsh. I don't know. I never really felt, and I don't think we really felt, I mean, there was already stuff happening in, in, in Seattle, and Olympia and places like that, it was always kind of a small thing. Um, I felt like I stepped into something that was kind of already happening, you know, sure. Um, but at the same time, you know, us being isolated at the way that we were, you know, uh, uh, we never felt I don't know we always we always felt you know isolated,
3: <laughs> sure. well, I mean, I, obviously a lot of that had to do with your geographic area oh
1: yes absolutely right yeah, yeah.
3: right but uh, but i guess just that um that initial feeling of just being able to you know play vfw halls and see that you're at least playing with other bands that you know maybe didn't suck as bad as the bands that you played with you know whatever a year ago or something like that yeah
2: right i mean i mean we didn't have
1: big ambitions at all i mean for us it was like oh to play a show and play on stage that's great that you know that's what we want to do you know and then uh, uh, we really wanted to make a record, and that took a while to happen. But uh, you know, finally, it did. So, you know, baby steps.
3: Well, and also, it seems like, like you said, the you know the ambitions of the bands. There were never any you know grand plans of putting stuff together because there was that was not part of the uh, the radar, as it were. And so, it seemed always very, and still to this day. And I don't mean this in a disparaging way, but you know, very hand to mouth, where it's like, oh, what's the next thing that we could do? Um, oh, totally. Okay.
1: <laughs> but, I mean, yeah. And certainly it's it's like that. But, I mean, we do like to plan things pretty far in advance, you know. I mean, I don't know. Uh, uh, we're a million miles away from those days. So what can I say? Um, things operate a lot more smoothly nowadays, and there's a, there's a lot more advanced planning because we can. And um, But at the same time, it's like we also know that, ah, uh, this could end tomorrow.
3: Once you started a tour, uh, did you uh... – I, did you ins- enjoy that experience initially or again, was that something that you kind of were you learned to enjoy over time or did you immediately take to it?
1: Um, well just being able to get out and go do go someplace and get out of town was exciting enough. Um, you know, we, I mean, I don't even know if we considered it to be touring. <laughs> <laughs> at the time uh, um, early on we would go to town we would go to Canada and play with these dudes that we knew up in Calgary and do a bunch of shows uh, 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 across Canada early on um, and uh, you know it it was uh, fun but it was also in it as far as like places that we stayed at and uh, 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 just being you know young and, and, and a teenager and uh, out having fun. Without your parents, I guess I don't know.
3: So you did enjoy sure. it, yeah. sure, <laughs> right? It's like you, sure, yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, we had some we had some pretty uh, uh, crazy experiences on our first tour. You know, um, we did this we did this tour sort of across, well, at least going down south and going to the southern states of the United States, and then up the East Coast uh, on, on a tour where nobody really knew who we were and nobody really liked us and. Uh, yeah yeah it, it was totally like hand to mouth as far as like making money and uh and touring in a van that broke down every every uh ten miles um so that was uh fun but not so fun
3: <laughs> of course yeah
1: <laughs> right it was like being it was like it, it, it was it was like uh, our, our total like uh on the road moment jack Kerouac, you know like bummered across the u s you know <laughs>
3: Absolutely.
4: You
1: know, maybe a slight step higher than than hitching it all the way around the U.S. and and just yeah, just like bumming around, basically. Some kids, some kids do you know when they when they get out of high school or graduate college, they go and and uh, backpack across Europe, you know, like like you know. we we, we bummed it around the U.S. and some shit then trying to get shows and people to like us. So so it's our only seven inch that we had out.
3: Of course, right? Yeah, this this was you just elongated your, uh, you know, your your gap years, they say, and you're just still doing it now.
1: Right? Yeah, it sucked at first. I mean, we, we about to never tour again after that tour. <laughs> you know, it. I mean, it was it, it it was fun, but there was a lot of a lot of uh, bummer times, and uh, but still, we got our our best stories come from that tour, I think. <laughs>
0: Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured; not
3: obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. So, I guess as you started to do this, and you know, maybe a few people started to show up at at shows, and there was some attention being paid to you guys. How did the interaction of you know, I guess, commerce and the business side of music? I know you guys have always had a um, somewhat adversarial relationship to that side of the the coin, as it were. Did you, I guess? care to participate in that at all or is that just something that was you know in the
1: business in the business side of things
3: yeah yeah
1: oh yeah we've always been we've always watched every, every dollar <laughs> sure and not left it in somebody else's hands you know um yeah I, no i think we've been realistic about that stuff from the get-go
3: but do you enjoy i mean like do you enjoy the like i guess the business of it or is it just like oh well we got to deal with this so of course like we're going to do that um
1: uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah. You're like, we well, tolerate it. It's fine. You know? Yeah. I mean, you know, we got our heavies behind
3: us, right? You got people working for you. Sure.
1: You know, but, uh, ultimately, uh, you know, yeah. Um, uh, if we weren't uh, making a living off of doing this at this point, we wouldn't do it. Why? You know, I mean, we would be weekend warriors, I guess.
3: And kind of along that same lines, you know, as you guys started to, uh, you know, entertain these, uh, you know, record deals, like obviously with, you know, Atlantic and like once grunge obviously exploded and every label was trying to figure out, you know, what they needed to do with that. Um, you know, and and this may be kind of an interesting way to put this question, but just like, when did you kind of notice it being comical? And what I mean by that is like, Oh my gosh, like, this has gone completely out of control. Like why are these labels even talking to us? Like, this is ridiculous. I mean, like we're going to talk to them because it's funny. Like, you know, we gotta, we're going to entertain these meetings or whatever, uh, you know, but when did it feel, I guess, larger than life in a way that you were just like, oh my gosh, this is, why are people paying attention on this level to what, you know, the Melvins are doing or whatever. Or did it ever get that way?
1: Comical, not really. But I mean, it, it, as far as this understanding why, I mean, obviously, why was because of the Nirvana guys, you know, and uh, um, labels seeing this whole new musical explosion happening and, and signing anything that might make them some money. Uh, but you know, on the other hand, for, for you know, for us uh, it, uh, with uh, our deal. And Atlantic, they always seemed realistic about their expe- expectations, at least when we first signed. You know, and that's why we went with them, too. They, they weren't, like, you know, thinking, like, you guys are going to, like, sell a million records, and it's going to be great, and we're going to have all the success, and, you know, it was more like, okay, we guys know that you're already established, and, you know, obviously you guys are friends with these guys. You know, we'll, we'll give you this much money to make whatever re- kind of record you want to, and, um, you know, also... By us signing you guys, it'll make us look hip. You know? We'll give you know, we'll be realistic about this whole thing. And if this relationship works out, you guys will always be able to be on this label and make records for your whole career. You know? That's what attracted us to, to Atlantic. And that's coming from the vice president who wasn't there after a year and a half or so. <laughs> so you know i mean we signed and we signed a fucking great deal you know we signed we signed a deal that if we would have but still been there you know we uh, we would have been making records with them we could still be making records with them they could still have us if if you know but you know the the turnover of employees there i mean uh, we outlasted like <laughs> everybody that was there when we signed with them <laughs> So we made up. We, we made up pretty good, and we did three records with them. And, 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 uh, and I'm happy with all those records, you know. Um, and then we went and signed, signed, signed with somebody else, where we're, we could do the exact same thing that was going to happen with Atlantic, and we're still there. Funny enough.
3: <laughs> well, and I, I think it's really um, you know important to highlight the fact that it's like you. the core idea of obviously what you guys were trying to accomplish with your, you know, music and your art was intact for all, like you said, all of the relationships that you've had with labels. It's like they've, you know, relatively left you guys alone and let you, you know, hatch your harebrained schemes and be able to put it out in the world in a positive way. And I think that that, you know, that that's, that's the dream. And you guys have been able to accomplish that in so many different aspects. So it's cool. Yeah,
1: Exactly. Exactly.
3: Thank you for realizing that. Hey, you know what? Uh, someone's got to tell you guys you're good occasionally. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, so you know, as you started to pursue the uh you know the band life and uh, you know be a part of, of that you know how are your parents reacting to it's like wow our, our our son dale i guess is in like a rock band like you know were they were they coming to shows were they uh you know sort of cheering you on from the sidelines uh, what was their interaction with this nomadic lifestyle you were living
1: yeah eventually they came and and uh, and saw the band play um it was after i moved away but uh, you know they didn't really need to come and see me play when I lived there because they got their own
3: free concert every night. Right. <laughs> <laughs> totally. You like you guys have already heard these songs. You don't need to right. be here. And
1: and and of course at that point I wouldn't have wanted my parents to come to the show. Not them. You know. No. no. But then after I moved away and came back then yeah, you know it was great. It was great having them come come and, and uh, yes, they, they they were very proud
3: the fact that, uh, you know, you guys as the Melvins have been able to do so many different creative things and stuff that has really challenged your fan base to, you know, follow along <laughs> with what you guys are doing. Um, is it fun to kind of try to find those limits in which people, uh, I guess, do follow you? Yeah, sure.
2: Especially, especially doing artwork. Um, I mean, you know, especially in the last, I don't know, uh, uh, 20 years we've been in control of all that stuff and um, have also have you know the, the I guess uh, uh, well I mean things have changed so much you know like, like as far as selling music goes you know back when we were on Atlantic like they used to give away <laughs> pretty much as many promo copies as what we could sell nowadays <laughs> you know so that's why we do those things like that's why we do like a lot of uh, limited edition artwork things and and it's taken more control of that stuff, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, um, uh, it, it, it's like a whole other world that, uh, 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 is, uh, something that we can, we can do. You know?
3: Sure. And then musically, I'm sure it's also fun to explore the, the, I wouldn't even say the limits of what you guys can do, but just, what people will support from you guys without you saying, Hey, we don't like this band anymore. (laughs) You know? Right.
2: I guess, well, we've never worried about that stuff, even from the beginning, you know, um, cared about what, I mean, we've always tried to make what we thought was cool. You know, we're, we're, we're playing music that we like, that we like and would like as fans. And, um, uh, it, you know, it's it's weird and different than anything else, from anybody else, and that's why you should that's why you should like our band, you know. Uh, um, but we're fans of all kinds of different music, and uh, I think it shows enough stuff. We care, but we don't care. You know, we don't care what you think. You know, we uh, we know we're villains. We've always been villains in this. You know, we're the villains of rock and roll.
3: You're the, uh, you like to lean into the, uh, the heel aspect of the wrestling world, as it were.
2: Well, we, we didn't start out to be villains, you know. We weren't, we weren't meant to be villains. We want people to love us, but, I mean, you know, like I said, our band's called the Melbourne's first and foremost, so you take it from there. But uh, uh, we're, def- we're, definitely, uh, we're definitely the underdogs, I think, and always has been. And, uh, yeah.
3: It's a role you're comfortable with sure your time in uh you know often red cross that you still play with it, it seems to me a function of you being a dude who kind of like gets it as far as like knowing where both the bands are coming from musically but then obviously has the you know chops to be able to play the stuff it, it also feels like the the inclusion of you in those bands also definitely mimics the idea of, you know, when bands first start playing, sometimes a drummer is the most difficult person to come by because of all of the obvious reasons. Um, Was your, uh, you know, you being asked to play in both of those bands, uh, did it kind of feel that way where it was like, oh, this is already people I'm familiar with and their art, and now I'm just able to, you know, put my own stuff on there? Yeah, yeah,
2: exactly, for sure. Um, <laughs> drummers are always in multiple bands because there's there's not a lot of us, you know, and that's one reason why I decided to play drums is because, you know, everybody and their brother can play guitar, <laughs> and everybody and their brother does play guitar. So, you know, drums you have more opportunity to be in bands because there's there's way less of us. But um, yeah, I mean, I've always approached, um, you know, both both those bands with with my own style, but also. Exactly knowing where they're coming from, what their style is, and what drumming style they're looking for. You know, with uh, with, uh, uh, with with Red Cross, it's like a, a combination of uh, Ringo, Charlie, with a little uh, a, a, a big a big pinch of cheese uh, thrown in, and uh, you know, with Off, uh, uh, they're, they're more more of a, uh, a, a, a you know Black Flag early '80s style
3: hardcore <laughs> you know? uh the uh the last thing i want to hit on was um you know you obviously you know having a family and you know having all of these things that uh you know quote-unquote normal people do you know how how does your um I get, you know, how do your kids react to like, you know, you being in a band and your art and everything like that? Is it one of those things where, like most kids, they think the stuff that their parents do is the uncoolest thing possible or how do they interact with that?
2: Uh, Well, they've grown up with it and I don't know. You like my band? Yes. Okay. My daughter says yes. so That's good. I I think she digs it. Um, Yeah. I mean, they're cool with it. They think it's cool. Right? Dad's cool, right? Okay. There we go. You hear that?
4: Yeah. <laughs> All
2: right.
4: For just further well, validation. That's cool.
2: 16 yep. year old who's working on a, a looks like a, a, a green tea shake wearing a bikini kill shirt. So there you go. Uh, it,
3: that they could definitely have turned out worse. That's for sure.
2: <laughs> I did. Okay. <laughs> did. Okay. From a country bumpkin coming from Aberdeen, Washington. There's a great meme going around of uh, my hometown where uh, it says, uh, 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 10,000 meth heads and counting Don't feed the meth
3: heads Well, Dale, thanks for uh, Shoveling through the uh, the technical glitches But yeah, I appreciate you hanging out
2: Thank you, thanks a lot, man
3: Okay, okay That was Dale And uh, it was fun Like I said, even though we went through some some technological glitches That was not his fault That was the internet's fault It was still a fun chat nonetheless and thank you very much to monica's publicist and uh yeah you need to check out all the melvin stuff you should also probably check out um you know off and uh, red cross if you are missing some great punk bands that uh, should be part of your vernacular but anyways we are talking about next week we've got brian cook who is the bassist from Russian circles. He also played in botch just recently released a solo record called torment and glory. And he's also played in bands like Roy. And, uh, I just, I love what Brian does and I've wanted to have this conversation with him for a while. So we were able to accomplish that. That's what we got next week. So until then, please be safe. Everybody.
4: The show is sponsored by BetterHelp.
2: Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
3: With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
2: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
4: Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo when we lost track of time.
0: <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry.